Well, here we go. Another episode of the On the Road to Damascus podcast with myself, Luke Askew, and Yvonne Rempel. And on this week's episode, we are joined by Mike McMahon. He is the pastor of Urban Church in Warrington, England, and he has a passion to bring the kingdom of God to the world. But that wasn't always the way it was. Today, we explore his testimony and revelations in which God has given him over the years. Hope you enjoy the episode. How's it going? Hey, Yvonne, how's it going? It's going good. I'm actually really excited today because generally we have a lot of guests who are from Canada, who are from my my city. You know, I go to church with them, but this time I'm actually outnumbered with our guests today because we have two from the UK. So I'm going to be the normal sounding one and the rest of them are going to try to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, we actually have a very lovely guest on with us today. Um, we have Pastor Mike. He is coming from Urban Church in Warrington, England. I'm really excited because he is a um, friend of Luke's who's going to come on and he's actually going to share his story, isn't he? Yeah, for sure. He's um, somebody that I have been meaning to get in contact with for so long, heard lots about the amazing things that God has done through his life very uniquely as well. So I'm excited to hear more of that story. So without further ado, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Luke and Ivan. Ivan, it's great to be here. No, thank (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Thank you. So, Mike... We call you Pastor Mike because you're the pastor of Urban Church. A lot of people will now know you for the incredible things that you've done through the church, but it hasn't always been that way, hasn't? You haven't always been a Christian. No, I haven't. No, um, I, I've I've always had some Christian background. I, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. I was in Catholic church. I was an altar boy. I did all of those things as a as a youngster. Um, and by the time I got to my mid-teens, I got to the place, because of some bad experiences, I got to the place where I thought church was a joke, it was a, it was a scam, uh, God wasn't real, and I decided that I'd go my own way in my mid-teens. So from that point forward, I hadn't been in church for many years um, and had no, I, I wouldn't have called myself an atheist, I, I simply didn't care. I, I didn't want to frame myself as an atheist because that would assume that I had some understanding of what any other faith or any faith will be about. Um, but I got to the place where it, it was irrelevant. I, I wasn't interested. And uh, I decided that I would actually set myself a goal to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I, I didn't hit that goal, but I was doing very well, actually. Um, until I was 28, um, when I discovered through a conversation in my my in-law's home, I discovered that my wife's sister and her husband had joined a little church uh, near in in the neighborhood where they lived. We we at that point lived in Scotland and we'd come down to England to visit. And uh, I'd I'd heard about this little church that we're involved in. And at the time in the news, there was lots of chatter about cults and people getting locked up in cults and, and these cults taking money off people and, and controlling their lives and so on. And I thought, this is really weird. They're obviously in a cult, and it's my job as the, uh, as the bright spark in the family 
to uh, to rescue them from this trap that they've been um, encouraged into. And so I literally went to church. I, I met with my, my, my in-laws and I said, well, I'd, I'd like to come and have a look at this thing you're involved in. And my goal was to rescue them. So I went at least in part with the intention, if necessary, of beating up the leaders and rescuing rescuing my wife's sister and her husband from, from this cult that they were involved in. So this particular Sunday morning, it was actually, it was um, Pentecost Sunday, 1986. I was 28 years of age, so you work out how old I am now. And um, I... Uh, my wife and I went along, uh, and I remember going into this this building. It wasn't a church building. It was a small fellowship meeting over a health studio in a small town in the northwest of England. And um, I remember walking in, and downstairs is all these people pumping iron and doing aerobics, and the top of the pops blaring out. And we walked upstairs, and it looked like the same group of people. It was it was young people who were happy and jolly and, and engaged with one another. And I thought, well, they're a good group of people, but this is weird. Um, and then the meeting began. They had the most phenomenal musicians, some internationally known musicians, actually, in this fellowship. So the music was amazing. And I thought, well, the music's great, but it's weird. And then in the middle of it had the most amazing encounter with God. There's a lot of detail around it. And, and if you're open to it, I'll give you a little, a little, just a smidgen of the detail, and that's okay. Um, I remember being... In the middle of this, they're singing. I've got my eyes open. I'm watching everything that's going on, looking for my opportunity to expose this thing. And uh, the the pastor, it turns out to be the pastor, he was sitting in the congregation. Um, and he said, he said, let's just thank God for things that he's done in our lives through this last week or so. And one of the musicians was the first to speak. And apparently, this is 1986, before the various revolutions in Eastern Europe. He'd been smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. And whilst he was there, he'd become quite ill. And, uh, and, and he said, I was ill when I came back, and I got prayed for, and God healed me. And I thought, you're an idiot. You just got better. Don't, 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 don't say this is God. This is complete nonsense. And then there were one or two others around, other people who said things. And then the, the last person who spoke was an older lady, probably much younger than I am right now, but she seemed quite old to me at 28. And uh, she said, I forget the detail of the numbers, but she said, I, I had a gas bill and it was something like £39.25 and I had no money to pay the bill. And I prayed and asked God for £39.25. And I, I went home, put my hand in all my coat pockets and found a bit of money. And then somebody put somebody through the door and I found somebody down the back of the sofa and all that sort of stuff. And she said, I put it together, and it was £39.25, and I paid my gas bill. I was quite intrigued by that, because that was very specific. So in my head, I said, okay, God, if you're real, all my years as a Catholic, I used to pray to you, but you never answered me. If you're real, why can these people hear you? And I can't. And then a man standing behind me said, there's a man here asking this question. And this is what God says to you. He said, I want to speak to your heart. I don't want to speak to your mind because you'll explain your way. I want to speak to your heart. I'm, I'm, my background is in engineering. I like to think things through and very logically focused. So he said, I don't want to speak to your mind because you'll explain me away. I want to speak directly into your heart. And, of course, he had my attention at that point in time, and, and I'm a bit freaked out by this. And uh, I remember closing my eyes, and I was aware of the most incredible presence in the room. Now, 
as I read my Bible now, I, I know what that presence is. But bear in mind, I had no experience and no understanding of what was happening in that room. So in my mind, I was aware that the room had disappeared. And before me is the most incredible pillar of fire. This just amazing presence. And I was terrified. I was, I was shaking. I had everything going on. So this presence has appeared. And I knew in that moment I had a decision to make. And I, over to, in, in my imagination, over to one side was all of my possessions, my success, my car, my toys, my holiday, my friends. And there's this presence. And I knew I had a decision to make. And I prayed the most incredible prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And it was one word, and it was yes. And when I said yes, this presence literally moved over me. So I'm standing in what I can only describe as the most incredible, all-encompassing hot shower. And before me is appearing all of these images of things that people that have wronged me, things that I've done, things I was ashamed of, stuff in my life. And they're all literally appearing before me and then, then getting washed away in, in front of my eyes. Um, and I was, at this point, I'm blubbering, I'm, I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm not aware of anybody else in the room until I open my eyes and find I'm surrounded by people now who are all praying for me. Um, I discovered after the event that my wife, who was standing beside me, had a similar experience at the same time in the same meeting, mm. which is quite fascinating. So I walked out of that place completely transformed. I, I remember I went windsurfing, actually, um, that afternoon, and I remember... Uh, having fallen off my board several times, I'm lying on the top of the water in my wetsuit, looking up at the sky, thinking, what, what happened to me? I feel completely different. And as I described the experience to some of my very cynical friends later, um, I, I said I felt like I was a, an electrical appliance in the box on the shelf in Woolworths, those of you who remember Woolworths. <laughs> and... Uh, and suddenly somebody took me out of the box and plugged me in. So on the one hand, I was real, I was fully formed, but I didn't know why I was there. That I, the, the, I didn't have that life that was intended for that appliance. And that suddenly I was plugged into something. Clearly, I was plugged into Almighty God, but, but plugged in in a way that suddenly my life and purpose exploded into being. And I've never been the same since. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. I know. Remember we talked about, we were like, yeah, we are podcast is an hour and a half and you're like, I got 14 hours. Yeah. I, you have so much in there. Like I want to go into detail about the feeling and the experience more, but I know we only have an hour and a half, but I want to pull the few bits from that and encourage our audience right now. It looks weird. It's going to yeah. look weird. It's going to look weird because you've never experienced before. You know, we were, Luke and I were talking before and we're talking about the different types of food compared to Canada and the UK. And sometimes we go, that's weird until you actually try it and you go, oh, it's not as weird as I thought it is. And I know yeah. it's, it's, you know, odd I'm comparing food to God, but I want something very tangible for people to understand. It's only weird until you understand what it is and then it's actually perfectly normal. Yeah. Absolutely. So perfectly normal. So I'm I'm so excited about that. So you and your wife have this amazing experience. You're forever changed. What happens? What happens next? Okay. So they, they, let let me say in, 
in in that process of this this encounter I had in this meeting, and and I, I would also say I believe everyone's encounter is different. God deals with us the way He He wants to deal with us, and I, I don't think in the same way that Jesus healed the same things differently throughout the the New Testament. You see, you know, one time He spits on the ground and makes mud. Another time He He spits on the, the the blind man's eyes. All of those sort of things. We see Him do different things for different people. I think for me, I needed that sort of encounter because I'm a cynic. I'm, I'm an analyzer. I needed God to slap me. So it was it was quite a slap. But in the middle of it, I felt God say two things to me. Um, two phrases, one one word and one phrase, and the word was missions. And the phrase was full-time ministry. Now, from my Catholic background, missions meant I need to become a nun and go to India, because that's all I knew. <laughs> yeah. And the term, the phrase full-time ministry was completely alien to me. I did not understand it. I didn't know what it meant. I had no framework for it. And it was only you know, sometime later when I discovered what that really meant that I understood that God had called me into something out of my regular secular employment. Um, so what, what we did, we went, we, we, I said we, we were down for the weekend from Scotland. So we came down, had this encounter with God, then went back to our home in Dunfermline, just north of Edinburgh in Scotland. And um, we picked up the local, we said, we need to go to church somewhere. So we picked up the local paper and we looked for the list of churches and we decided that we prayed and said, Lord, the first one that actually answers the phone, not, not an answering machine, the first one that actually answers the phone, that's where we're going. And we, and we dialed these numbers until somebody literally picks up the phone and we said, we'd like to come to church, please. <laughs> How do we find you? Um, and we joined a little church, a little uh, fellowship in Dunfermline. It was then called Dunfermline Christian Fellowship, then became Liberty Church. And uh, I ended up pastoring that church for a number of years. So we, we moved from being brand new believers to then youth leaders. Then I became an elder. And then I stepped into ministry as the associate pastor and then became the senior pastor in that setting. Quite a journey, really. Yeah, wow. I'm going to say that's quite a journey from wanting to be a millionaire at 30 to now you're pastoring at church. Hey, I, my, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I am way richer than I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's incredible. So you you got this this phrase, right? Like this full-time ministry. I know a lot of people in our audience because we've talked about this a bit Luke is that people get these callings. And there's a moment in this calling and then there's a waiting. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about the waiting in that because I find that there's a lot of people today, especially a lot of people in uh, who listen to our podcast regularly on social media. There's a lot of people who just go like, I'm waiting, Yvonne. I'm waiting. And I'm like, that is the hardest thing we have to do because I, I get that. I've been in the waiting for 15 years also. So I get that. Can you explain that waiting period for us yeah the waiting is painful um we live in an instant generation where everything we have is instantaneous and and here we are on a podcast that, that that's, that's global and uh you know we have this instant connection we have instant food we have instant everything um so i think waiting particularly in this generation is difficult for people so having Having received this, this instruction to step into full-time ministry, of course, I'm then on a, a voyage of discovery and talking to everyone that I could about what I felt God had said to me, trying to get myself equipped and trained, position myself to step into that. 
we were privileged to be among leaders in Scotland who were very empowering and, and helped. They discipled as well. They put us in, in the best place we could be. But of course, it was not their job to release us. It was God's job to release us into, into ministry. And um, I, I, I was, um, at, at that point, I was working for a, a large multinational. I was then headhunted, went to another multinational, then headhunted again, and was in a very lucrative, um, very successful environment, um, but frustrated with what I was doing. And so 1986 was, was the time, the year that I, I became a Christian. And it was 1991, let me just get this right, 1991. And I'd become so frustrated with the fact I was in this job that I enjoyed, but I hated because it stopped me doing the things I wanted to do. I was working about 60, sometimes 70 hours a week and trying to minister in church to do youth stuff and, and do worship and teach and, and disciple people, everything else, with what little extra time that I had. I remember um, in the um, in the January of that year, 1991, I was driving in my brand new BMW to Glasgow, which was about an hour and a half away from where I lived, on a very cold January morning. Um, that we'd had a reasonably heavy snowfall. There was ice on the roads, and my car would not go anywhere. It was just sliding everywhere. I remember banging the steering wheel, saying, "God, when are you going to call me?" When, when, when is this going to, when are you calling me, Lord? You know, I, I believe I'm supposed to do something. When are you calling me? And I felt God say, as clear as a bell, I called you five years ago. When are you going to do something about it? Oh. <laughs> which was which was a little alarming, to be honest, because I thought I've been doing everything I know, I think. Um, I then walked into the office, and there's a, a, another guy in the office, one other Christian in, in the business, who was not, charismatic didn't not not pentecostal didn't believe in the gifts of the holy spirit but as i i walked in late into the office and this guy walked into the kitchen behind me and he said i was praying over christmas um out of uh, matthew 9 pray the lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest fields and he said your face came to mind and he said i'm going to make a prediction because he didn't believe in prophecy <laughs> he said i'm going to make a prediction you will not be with this company beyond the, the end of the year and he walked out, and I just felt like God said, "See, okay, I, I'm on, I'm on the case." Um, it was then with that year I was taking a team into Germany to do some mission stuff in, over the summertime as part of my holidays, and um, I was, uh, I had a, the most incredible dream in in about April May time that year, where God laid out three scenarios for me to step into ministry, um, and. Everything went wrong in those three scenarios when they actually worked out. But the final thing was that that sense of release. And I was then able to choose to step in and not go back into secular employment. But the pain between the call and the eventual release was very real and very uncomfortable. Um, I was frustrated because I felt that I was wasting time doing things that were of no value, although I was privileged to lead many to the Lord in, 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 the, in the, the process of my business uh, and to use the resources that I had to invest back into the church. Um, so financially, we were very well provided for and we could provide for others. And spiritually, we were able to support others. But I, I still felt that this sense of this burden that 
God had placed on my heart, and I was not able to reach for it. But, um, really locked in partly by the normality of the of the work that I was involved in. It had become my little tradition, if you will. And and breaking that tradition, I found very difficult, and I, I needed God's help to do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. There's, there's something that you said. I want to just go back to that moment where God says, I called you five years ago. What are you going to do about it? What do you believe God wanted you to do? Looking back now, if God called you five years ago, what do you believe you thought you were meant to do or what you thought you were waiting for? And what was the truth? What was the revelation? Okay. Looking back now? That, that's a really good question because um, I, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have gone in so many different directions. And of course, by the time I'd done five years of um, studying, learning, getting into the word, working out who I was, working out who God was, so God is, um, working out something of what ministry looks like, I was much better equipped but I, I feel, you know, I think, I think life is all about learning every single day, learning about ourselves and our position in, in the world. Um, and and I, I think I was better equipped after the five years to work out what to do. Now, I said within that, that we were surrounded by leaders who invested well in us. And so they, they positioned as well. Once we were, once I was ready to step out and Jane followed me in that, in, in ministering in, in the church. But all I knew at that point was that church ministry was focused on um, outreach evangelism. We were a very missions-focused church. We, we supported missionaries all over the world. And so to be freed up to be in full-time ministry meant that I had more time to be a carrier of the gospel and to equip those around me to be equally carrying to others. And, and my frustration was that I couldn't do that. So... How I would do it now is, is quite different. Um, but I, I think what it did in me was develop something that I um, I would thank people like Rick Warren for talking about the purpose-driven church. Um, I think understanding purpose and, and why we do what we do, why we exist, um, why or what God has called us specifically to do, the purpose of our lives is really important. And, and what I've done, I think, from the very beginning is to work out essentially, why am I here? You know, why am I uh, on this planet? Why do I look or sound the way I do? Why did I have all that experience? Why, 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 why? Because all of that is going to shape my future. Um, and I think I have a much better handle now on my why than I did then. And sometimes I stumbled around in the dark trying to work out what to do, and particularly to avoid things I was being driven to do by others because they... Everybody's got a plan for your life. <laughs> um, and uh, we need to work out what God's plan and purpose is first. So I, I think that that journey for me uh, is still in operation, to be honest, right now. Um, just being genuinely purpose-focused and ensuring that the things that I do or the things that I would build or the things that I would equip others to do are based upon purpose and not simply the tradition of what we do. And what locked me into the secular employment was not understanding really what my purpose was, other than I went to work to earn money to pay the bills so that I could do something else. And once I got to grips with why I'm really here, it released me to let go of 
empty ambitions of things that were of no real eternal value and at times of no secular value, to be honest, um, and to focus on the things that I felt God had genuinely called me to. And I, I'm very clear about my purpose. And that that then informs the the direction and the shape of things that I would do these days. Mm. I know I've gone way off your question there, Luke. No, 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 no. It's fine. <laughs> That's okay. Can, can That's I just okay. talk a bit about, about purpose? Is that all right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Because yes. I, I think, you know, for, for anyone, you know, for, for you guys or for anyone who's listening, uh, understanding purpose is really important. So we, we, and, you know, we're in, in the place right now where we are potentially coming to the end of the, this, this pandemic season that we're in. And I'm surrounded by people within the church. I don't just mean within our congregation, but you know, the various churches that I, I'm privileged to invest in, um, people I'm in relationship with, apostolic relationships that I have. Um, and I, I, I'm constantly fielding questions about, you know, how do we get back to normal or what's the new normal and all that sort of stuff. And my, my response is very simple. The, the reality is that the world has changed, but my purpose never changed. The, the purpose that caused me to do things before the pandemic is the same purpose that I have post-pandemic, but the circumstances are different. Therefore, what I must do is, is based upon my why, my purpose, is work out with the resources or the limits or whatever's happening around us right now, how do, I, how do I work out my purpose? How do I work out my why in a way that then delivers the what? Del- delivers something practical. And, and it, it, it causes me not to worry about how do we get back to what we did before or what's the next step. I've just got to constantly go back to my the center of why do I exist? Why is what has God called me to do fundamentally? What's my purpose in the earth? And then find expressions for that that then invest in people and in ministry and in reaching people and equipping the saints and everything else that happens. So I, I think why is really important. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think the why, why we do it, right? Why do I drive down the street? Because I have a destination that I'm getting to. So there's a purpose. I get in my vehicle, I restart my vehicle. And because I have a destination in mind in what I'm doing. And that's no different than when we get up every day, the why of it, right? Why am I doing this? Because everything points to God. I'm doing this because it points to God. I'm doing this because it points to God. And so when when I align myself with God's purpose, right? I'm constantly walking in purpose and the why of, of what he wants to see, which is the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, I was thinking about this lyric of this song. Um, and there's a song come alive, uh, that is sung by, um, by Bethel church. And there's a song, there's a lyric in that song that says, are you waiting on heaven or is it waiting on you? And what I love about that is because I think a lot of us go, God, where are you? Where are you? how come you haven't done anything? God's going, how come you haven't done anything? Yeah, absolutely. I've put the right people right beside you. I've given you the right mentors. And I think about that a lot because as you know, and I've talked about this a lot, Mike, because I have, you know, um, my adult with training wheels, my 19 year old, and my kids coming up and I'm teaching them, right? God's purpose doesn't fit you. You fit God's purpose and you have to be shaped and molded into God's purpose. And that's a give and take of waiting on God and moving forward 
And so, and I love how to match that with the purpose that you're saying, the why of why we do that. Why is it hard in the waiting? Because every day I wake up going, it's because I'm matching God's purpose. So the waiting all of a sudden goes, oh, it's not so bad anymore. So if you're in a waiting season, you're listening to this and you're like, I can't do it anymore, Yvonne, I can't. Yes, you can. Because when you get up every day and you go, why, why? You go, why? Because one day I know what's going to be happening because one day I know it's, and you remind yourself every single day, I'm doing it because God, I'm doing it because God, every single day. And I love yeah. that. Hey guys, it's Luke. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and it's inspiring you. But I just wanted to tell you something about something really exciting. We are launching something called Epoch Coaching and Consulting. Have you ever wondered what season God has you in? Have you ever felt like you've been going around in circles or the promise that God has given you hasn't come to pass? Well, a lot of the time it's because we don't fully understand what season we are in And more importantly, we don't understand how to best navigate through our season. So if you're interested in finding out more about Epoch Coaching, then head over to www.damascusexperience.com and reach out to us. And we love to share with you our vision. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So much. I want to talk about what you're doing now. I want, I want to hear about some of the, okay, because you've taken on this beautiful journey of, you know, before and in, I want to know what's happening now. I want to hear what your church is doing. What's going on now, Mike? Right right now, our church is doing very little, to be honest, um, because we are focused on exactly what I said, which is purpose. But let, let me let me just talk about what, where we've been and, and how we end up where we are right now. Um I, I said that I ended up pastoring the church in Scotland. So um, for about, we were in Scotland for 24 years, um, about 17 of those in some form of leadership, 11 years as the senior pastor. But in that role, I was also responsible for taking missions teams, uh, sending out teams, planting new churches in different settings. And so we've always been involved in missions and church planting throughout that time. Um we planted our first church in a small village just north of the where the main church was back in about, gosh, 1990, I guess. Um, and we've planted or helped to plant in different nations around the world. And um, we, we just completed a process of planting or establishing work in France um, in about 2007. And I felt God call us elsewhere. Um, I felt God called us down to Warrington, which is where we are right now. Um, that, that call came personally to me. It came through prophetic um, encouragement from others, all confirming the call. It came through revelation in the middle of a flight and everything else. And so we ended up moving in 2008 from a, a very settled, very well-provided-for environment in Scotland where we were um, we had a, a, a sizable reputation and influence across Europe um, to then moving without any support, without any team. I would not recommend this. Uh, you know, don't do what God tells, tells you to do, not, not, not what you think somebody else should do. Um, but we went without a team, we went without support, and we moved to Warrington at the end of 2008 um, to establish a brand new work down here, um, partly because... Well, fundamentally, God had told us. I've been praying for Warrington for a while because um, after shortly after we became Christians, the church where we got saved began to 
um, be dismantled. And it ended up with nothing of, of any sort of contemporary nature happening in the town here. And um, I just, I felt God stirring us to do something that was more contemporary here. So we moved here at the end of 2008 and we literally launched church in 2009. Let, let me just talk about that in terms of, of the, the why again. The, why we're here is because God, God called us. If I was a football player, I'd have come and started football teams to reach people with the gospel. If I was a businessman, I'd come and started a business. But I'm a pastor and a church planter, so so the why become then connects with the how, which is the skill set, um, to establish new, a new work here in Warrington, which we did in 2009. Uh, we then launched uh, in Blackpool in 2010 and into Crew, which is south of Warrington, in 2011. Um, we really overstretched ourselves, to be honest. Uh, but we ju- I just felt we needed to be planting churches in this area. Um, and we've then since then adopted churches with transition churches. We've helped churches move from very traditional backgrounds into more contemporary and uh, very youth-focused environments. Um, I spent a couple of years consulting to the Anglican Diocese of Liverpool, which is the, the Church of England locally, uh, to help to transition and to plant new churches using a different model, using the model that we'd use for planting here in Warrington to help them to get moving. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and all that activity of, of church meetings, the excitement of gathering together, the environments that we would create. We, what Part of our goal was because of the way that I became a Christian, I wanted people to have genuine encounters with Jesus and I would say to our teams, whenever we were in our events, our meetings, um, that their role, their goal was to create an environment where every single person in that room has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so we'd see people make decisions every Sunday. You know, they'd come in and say, what touched me in that meeting? And they were, they were wonderful times. But when COVID hit, of course, we could no longer meet. But the purpose hadn't changed. So we had to start to reshape our activity based upon the purpose and the environment that we had. And so we immediately turned that around to how do we support people who are struggling in the pandemic? Um, We started, there's a big push in the UK about uh, child hunger, child poverty. Um, So we started to provide feeding programs for children. Um, We were carrying groceries into homes, supporting people who were were isolated and and locked down because they couldn't get out anywhere. And uh, we, we, because we were essential workers, effectively, uh, we were able to go around and spend a lot of time supporting and helping people locally. Um, That then resulted in a much broader one-on-one impact in the community than we'd had before with the events because we when we were doing our, our events we were drawing from people who travel 50 60 miles to come even they passed by churches to come to us and then suddenly they couldn't do that and so we're very focused on our local community so i think we've what it's done is to push us to have far more local impact on the people around us and then in january this year um there was a major flood it hit the national headlines there was a major flood in warrington and our building was right at the center of that flood. So our building was under two feet of water. And we just finished reconfiguring some of the building as part of our endeavors to reach out to the community. 
And I remember being so frustrated. I was leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm crying out to God. We've done all this work, Lord. And here we are underwater. The floods come. And, and you said he wouldn't flood again and all that sort of stuff that you do. And I walked out into the street. And it was about waist deep at this point in the street. I looked up the road at people in their homes who'd lost their homes. And I was suddenly struck by the fact that I can, I can go home. I'll be wet right now, but I can go home to a dry house. But these people have lost everything. And so we then immediately turned our attention, not to our building, but to helping our neighbors who had lost everything in the floods. Um, and graciously, many churches around the, the region, around the nation, actually, uh, sent us money to, to help to reach out. We were able to buy white goods and flooring for people who'd lost everything. And uh, so we, we became this, the hub of the community in a way we'd never been before. Because our purpose hadn't changed. Our purpose was to make disciples. Our purpose was to reach people with the gospel. Our purpose was to introduce people to the one they didn't know. And we'd gone from having these high-profile, wild, um, music-filled, technical-filled meetings that drew people in and, and, and sort of gave them the tilt of, can this be church? To were on the doorstep saying, you need a fridge and a cooker and a washing machine. Oh, and by the way, can we pray for you? And people encountering Jesus on the doorstep. So it, it's, that's why I say why is more important than the what. The what comes out of everything else. And what we're trying to do in this season is to work out, now, now that we have, we've, we've got these two very strong facets to who we are as a church, our ability to put on the most incredible um, life-filled events that people have genuine encounters with Jesus and our very practical on-the-doorstep activity of we want, to bring, we want to be Jesus in your neighborhood. We want to be the ones that really touch you with life and with love and, and, and in genuine ways. So, so where we're at right now is we're trying to work out how do we get something uh, or is it appropriate for us to go back to those weekly events? At this point, it probably isn't. Um, but how do we move that connection in the neighborhood into some more practical stuff? So bringing people into um, uh, worship times, into, into small times when we gather together, creating discipleship environments, using the Alpha course and different things we'll use to draw these people deeper into their relationship with God, because our, our goal has got to be to make disciples fundamentally and to take people on that journey from having that initial encounter with him to having great foundations uh, that allows them to, to journey and to grow with him. Mm. Wow. It's, it's such a journey that definitely is urban. I know it wasn't originally urban. Was it a was it Oasis? Well, we're called Oasis, yeah. Yeah, originally Oasis, then turned urban. <laughs> and your church has gone on such a journey in terms of where it's going and also where it's going into this new season. And what's really interesting, I'd love to ask you this question, is many of our guests often use the word kingdom. You know, God's kingdom, God's kingdom moving and um, advancing. And, yeah. we, and what we spoke about over this podcast, we spoke about the church, how you went into full-time ministry, how you, you built churches, planted churches, sent out disciples, made disciples. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? And why right now does it seem to be 
the buzzword, the new word, the word that everyone's focused on, everyone's saying that it's the kingdom we should be advancing, not building church, but building the kingdom. What is that difference? What have you seen? What have you experienced on your journey? And when did God introduce you to his kingdom? I think kingdom thinking, kingdom understanding, kingdom theology for me has been there from the very beginning. So it was very, it was, uh, we were strongly encouraged to understand that our job is not to build our empires. Our job is not to build our own lives, but our job is to build kingdom. Our job is not even to build church. Jesus is building church. Um, but our, our job is to extend the kingdom. And if I, if I understand the, it, it's a, it's a huge subject, but if I can simplify it as best I'm able um, the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. It's not geographical. The kingdom is God's rule and reign in a situation. The, the role of the believer is to be a touch point for the kingdom of heaven and the earth, that we are carriers of kingdom wherever we go. And I would say to our people, if you are born again, full of the Holy Spirit, then wherever you place your feet, the kingdom of God has come. And in that situation, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the home, in church, in, in the, on the bus, wherever you are, then you are a kingdom carrier. And that your responsibility is to allow that kingdom influence to impact the people around you. And so when I talk about you know, taking white goods and supporting people who've been flooded out of their homes, there are many agencies who will do that, who are highly motivated, humanistic people who would, who would do practical things to help people. But what must happen on the back of it is people need to encounter the kingdom of God. They need to know his presence and his rule and reign in their lives. They need to see kingdom overwhelming things that they're worried about, concerned about, their sickness, disease, uh, ill health, mental health, all of those practical things that the kingdom then becomes the the counter for, the, the, the solution to. Um, so for me, the kingdom, understanding God's rule and reign in me and extending that to the people and circumstances around me is perhaps my simplistic view of, of how kingdom operates. Mm. Wow, I love it. I just see the perspective change that's coming, this shift of of what does it mean? I think it's really coming back to your why. And I'm so excited to, to listening to your story, Mike, and seeing a guy who at the beginning of the podcast was like, it's a cult. Um, it's a cult. I'm coming to turn it down. You know, they're ripping everyone off. I need to stop this. I'm going to be a millionaire by 30. A very worldly mindset to yep. surrender your life to Jesus, to go into full-time ministry, to go and do that in, in such a way now, and then to come to this place now where we're going, well, why is the church here? Why, why are we making disciples? Why are we, why are we doing all of these things? And I think you mentioned about the kingdom and, and just really focusing on why. And I think for our audience right now, I really want you, I think the whole theme of this podcast has been why. Like, why is God calling you? Why is he called the, the person who's listened to my voice? Why is he called Avon? Why is he called Mike? Why is he calling all the people out, out in the world right now? And that call that's upon your life, that's bringing that, that tug 
I just encourage you massively to just lean in like Mike was to start speaking to God. So to say, God, what are you, what are you calling me into and get ready? Because I really do believe when the kingdom comes an encounter with the King comes as well. So Mike, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your stories. The funniest thing is though, cause I know you and I'm really good friends with your son is Yvonne when you meet Mike in person, this guy's probably got enough stories to do about a thousand episodes. <laughs> um, so I know there's so many things that you could bring to our guests, but just thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you for sharing My pleasure. How, how God has moved in your life and called you. And I hope that it is blessed um, our audience as well. Have you got anything to add about? No, I've just, I've really enjoyed this a lot, Mike. You bring such a wonderful perspective, especially as you said, you know, it, the times are changing and we go, how do we change? How do we change? But we're not changing, right? And so we get caught up in the world when it goes, everything needs to change because the world's changing. Just remember, God doesn't change. So why are we trying to change also? Yes. Yeah. So I, I just want to, I want to encourage our audience to, you know, like if it looks weird and you're going, ah, man, this is weird. You know, I'm going to church, but the music, oh, it's good, but it's weird. It's weird. We have been there. We get that. We know that feeling. We know the weirdness that comes for it, you know, um, but you don't have a language to that. A different language always sounds weird until you actually start speaking it. So dive in don't stop. Remember your why. And I just encourage you guys to stay grounded in God and search for, uh, as Luke says, search for that. Search hard for what he's telling you. Thanks, Mike, for coming on and sharing with us. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a privilege to be here. Always. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, if it has blessed you, we would love to know what part of Mike's testimony has really resonated with you. What is God doing in your life? And remember to share it on all your social media platforms. Tag us at the hashtag on the road to Damascus podcast. I've got so many hashtags in my head. I don't know which one it is, um, but let us know how you enjoyed the episode and we will see you all very, very soon. Bye. Bye.